I'm Roy Lee Lindsay with the North Carolina Pork Council, and I want everyone to remember, bacon makes everything better. everybody welcome back to the david glenn show now seen and heard exclusively here on the new north carolina sports network today's special guest has been the director of athletics at duke university since may 2021 meaning for about two and a half years now during the blue devils relatively brief time under nina king's leadership they already have made the men's basketball coaching transition from the hall of famer our recent guest mike krzyzewski to the former Duke player and assistant coach, John Shire, who is gonna join us here on the David Glenn Show in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, during that same two and a half year period in football, the Devils have now transitioned twice, from David Cutcliffe to Mike Elko after the 2021 season, and now from Elko, who recently left Duke literally in the middle of the night to become the head coach at Texas A&M, to Manny Diaz, the former Miami Hurricanes head coach who has been the superstar defensive coordinator on Penn State teams that have gone a combined 21-4 and four during these past two seasons. Nina King, welcome to the David Glenn Show and to the new North Carolina Sports Network. How are you? I'm great. It is a great Duke day, and I'm just really honored to be talking with you today about this new chapter in Duke football. Well, thank you for that. And, of course, we're going to dive into the Manny Diaz details, but I have to ask you, since I haven't had you in this kind of forum, Duke went more than 40 years without needing a basketball coaching search, and they went more than a decade without needing a football coaching search. Uh, and then you you get your promotion, and you're the AD. Uh, I know trial by fi fire kind of has biblical roots, and I assume you haven't been walking on charcoals. Uh, <laughs> but has that phrase hit you at all in these last two years? Because you've had a lot of big decisions to make. Um, you know, not really. Uh, I, I was ready and prepared for the job and, and knew, of course, that it me meant coaching changes at some point and um, had the honor of working here for 13 years before I became AD. So um, had spent a lot of time with uh, our people here and, and obviously knew Coach K's transi transition was on the horizon. So um, I knew at least I'd have that one in front of me uh, right away. And, and then football, you know, was was a decision as I kind of went through my first football season as athletic director. Um, but, you know, I mean, sometimes you don't know when these moments are going to happen, what just happened to us a couple of weeks ago, and sometimes you prepare for them. But um, I'm, I, I felt ready and prepared as an athletic director to, to um, you know, bring great people here to Duke and coach our, our amazing student athletes. Our focus today, of course, is looking forward. But let me ask you to glance backward. I know your statement thanked Mike Elko for his really amazing success for two seasons at Duke. You wished him well at Texas A&M. He said some nice things about you and about Duke. How did you handle players and recruits who may have been okay with Coach Elko's decision to you know, control his destiny and move on with his career, but I know some of them were not happy about, rather than a face-to-face -face coach departure meeting, you know, they were asked to be on a Zoom call. And I don't know if it's impossible to have a cleaner departure here in 2023. It's a fast-paced world with all sorts of deadlines. But how did you manage that? And, and what do you think? Is it possible for a coach to be fair to the school and players he's leaving, even while moving on? 
Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I can't tell you um, what what Coach Elko was was thinking and what he had to do in in those moments, and obviously was making decisions in the best interest of of um, you know his family and his new program and all of that. And let me say, um, David, again, just he really did put Duke football in such a great position, and we truly are thankful. We had two great years with him here. Um, he he was a terrific leader uh, for the young men in in that locker room, and and a fantastic football coach, great person, great family. Um, so I really enjoyed my time um, with, with the Elkos while they were here. And, you know, at Monday morning um, after the, the player Zoom, um, I met with the, the, the team in person and we had a great conversation and there was some hurt in the room. And uh, I think the team was, was really fragile at the moment. But you know, we talked about just how we were lucky to have each other, family. We have a bowl game coming up, so we still had time together as a team to be able to to play, um, and you know, the sport that we love and and spend some time together, um, you know, preparing for that. And so I think that that was really helpful. Um, we kind of you know said it, grieving is fine, uh, but nobody died, and so we're going to look forward. We're going to move on, and we're going to bring a new head football coach in here, and it's going to be great. And so it took some time, some some a little longer than others. But, um, you know, it was, it was nice to be able to have the time together. And then uh, that evening, we did a Zoom with uh, the players that have committed to, to play at Duke uh, next fall. Uh, some are coming mid-years in, in January. So we did a Zoom with those players and their parents. Um, and we also did a Zoom with our current players' parents. Um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in these moments when, when there's a lot of unknown uncertainty. Um, and I can appreciate that. There's a lot of unknown and uncertainty for me too. And so my priority truly was just ensuring that our student athletes, um, you know, felt uh, safe and, you know, happy to be here and, you know, just making sure that they had all of the resources that they needed um, to be able to move on. So it's been great. I mean, we, we have had some, some good challenging times in the past couple of weeks, but um, we've got such incredible student athletes that, that we've been able to really kind of hold this thing together. Uh, and not just me. I mean, we've got a lot of folks a lot, and all of the assistant coaches that are still here, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, our trainers, everybody that's in that football building, we've really come, come together to support these student athletes. Once you knew you needed a new coach, I know you have your internal team there at Duke. You had the assistance of an outside search firm as well. In a general sense, looking at multiple candidates, what were those most important qualities that you were looking for in the next Duke football coach? Because I won't lump you into my age bracket, but before we were born, Duke's football coaching position was a very prominent one. But in our lifetimes, there have only been a couple of success stories. So what, what were those starting parameters that ultimately led you to a guy like Manny Diaz? Yeah, well, I mean, first, we talked to a lot of people um, getting feedback on, on what we should be looking for. Um, as you mentioned, we've, we had an internal team here, and we all had our own ideas about what the next head football coach should should look like, the qualities they should possess, but um, made sure to get the student-athletes feedback. That was important to me, to understand from those young men that have to go out there every day and play um, what they wanted to see in their head coach. And I got some really great feedback from them um, in terms of what they were looking for. You know, they wanted somebody who was fun to play for. I think that's really important. Um, you know, they, they this is a lot of work for them to, to come out onto the football field and practice and spend long hours doing this. So, you know, let's have fun while we're, while we're doing it. Um, they wanted a coach with experience. I think, um, 
that said a lot when when they said they they really valued um, you know not necessarily head coaching experience but good experience uh, for a, a coach to come in here. Um, you know we can't guarantee that a, a coach isn't going to leave. Um, you know for for something else. You never know what the circumstance might be, and I can't fault anybody for leaving on their terms when it we're having great success. That's a good thing. Uh, so we talked a lot about that with the student athletes. We talked to some donors. We talked to former players. Um, we talked to campus constituents. You you know, we, we value being good campus citizens. So we got a lot of feedback from our colleagues on campus. And we really were looking for somebody that embodied the values of Duke, somebody that um, really treats excellence as the top priority um, and excellence in athletics and academics. We pride ourselves on being good at both here. We're not shy about wanting to compete like heck in the classroom uh, as well as on, on the football field. Um, and so, you know, that jumped out at me when I, I spoke with Manny right away. Um, he talked a lot about alignment, alignment with obviously the athletic department, but the university too, um, and ensuring that our football program's values aligned with the university's values. Um, and excellence was a word that he used pretty early on uh, in the conversation. So um, he's got a lot of great qualities and he is obviously an experienced head coach, an, a coach, an ACC coach, a really successful coach at some big time places. Um, and Duke football is on the rise. We really wanted somebody who would continue this upward trajectory of Duke football. Um, we are, as Riley Leonard put it, an everything school, and we want to continue to be an everything school. So somebody that really can continue um, making sure that, that Duke football is uh, top of mind for, for folks around the country. Duke's AD, Nina King, is joining us on the David Glenn Show. You mentioned his time at the University of Miami. Uh, maybe compared to their days when I was a little kid as a five-time national champion, his resume not, may not have been glowing compared to that. But if you look at the Canes more recently, he had three straight bowl games there. He had one top 25 finish there. He had two consecutive winning records there. And he still got fired, of course. How did you view that three-year track record overall? And then what, did you, what can you share about what you and Coach Diaz discussed about perhaps mal how that head coaching experience, despite its uh, sad ending, I guess you'd say, uh, maybe makes him a better head coach his second time around. Yeah, you know, he was successful at Miami. I mean, coming out, out of there with a 21 and 15 record and and really, um, you know, seeing great success on the field um, and also off the field. I mean, he was a great motivator. I don't think we should forget about the turnover chain that he introduced <laughs> when he was there. Yeah. Like, whatever it takes to continue to motivate the players to get out there and play their hardest um, and compete really hard. Um, so, you know, I, I valued um, his time and I, tr I, I truly believe he was successful at Miami. Now, you know, listen, the circumstances were what they were, and I'm not pulling weeds in anyone else's garden uh, on, on what happened there, but um, we had good conversation about it, and he talks glowingly about his time at Miami. Um, the ending wasn't good, but he really enjoyed um, his time while he was there, and, you know, he was an assistant there before he was the head coach, and so he he spent a lot of good years um uh, at the University of Miami and in in that um, football program, so uh, it's you know it's funny you, you mentioned it during our youth uh, the the Miami of of uh, that time when they were extremely successful. I also grew up in Florida, so uh, I'm well aware of of the tradition and success at Miami, and wish them all the best. But uh, excited to have Manny here and and continue our growth. For the record, DG is over fifty. 
And whereas I don't think Nina is eligible anymore for all those 40 under 40 awards that she used to get, uh, she is definitely not on my side of 50. So I'm not, I'm not lumping us in as the exact same generation. I wonder, I know you, you're, you know, a Notre Dame grad and Tulane law school, and you've been around the block, Florida and otherwise. I have interviewed coach Diaz in other settings, in other job descriptions. And I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember him telling me that in the nomadic lifestyle of a coach, he spent six years consecutively at NC State. (laughs) And Nina, I've lived, I'm a Philly transplant who's lived in the Triangle since the late 1980s. Our part of the country is like on no more magazine covers. Now it's websites and all like the best place to move in America. Now we all know Duke as an institution is comes before that. Um, and you know what you can pay the guy comes before that, but but what did he say about those yeah. six years right down the road? Where if I had to talk my wife into uprooting again, it'd be a much easier pitch maybe for the wife and the kids and for him himself, uh, ha- having having known the state of North Carolina and having lived in the Triangle specifically. Yeah, you know, I think Manny and Stephanie are really excited to to move back here. Um, they have three sons. Two are uh, grown. One is is a football coach himself, uh, and one is in college. And then their youngest is a high school senior. So I don't think uh, that you know moving with a young family was an issue this time, which which sometimes it certainly is uh, in this profession. But Stephanie's certainly excited to get back here to the Triangle. While they were here, she was a teacher at Immaculata. Um, they they know a lot of the folks in this athletic department just from, you know, kind of being in the same area and, and uh, growing up or around this, um, this area with their young kids. So I, I mean, I found that fascinating, crazy coincidence uh, that, that they had spent some time here. Um, we picked them up at the airport this morning and we were driving to campus and uh, a lot of things looked familiar to him, although obviously Durham is booming. Uh, when we drove by downtown, he was amazed at how much was, was there and everything that's come up. But I think they truly are excited to to return back to the Triangle. Hey, folks, David Glenn, right here in Raleigh, one of my favorite restaurants for many years has been The Oak Scratch Kitchen and Bourbon Bar. It's located on Lake Boone Trail, which happens to be a perfect location for a great meal and beverage if you're on your way to nearby Carter-Finley Stadium or perhaps PNC Arena for a concert, Wolfpack or Hurricanes game, or other event. The menu is incredibly tasty and creative. The atmosphere is a lot of fun. The bourbon options are as high-end and varied as you'll find anywhere. The staff is super classy and first-rate, and I've just always loved the people, the food, and the overall vibe there. When I took Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon to lunch, yes, meaning the billionaire who owns the hockey team, I took him to the Oak. Seriously, it's that good. Learn more or make a reservation by visiting their website, theoakraleigh.com. That's theoakraleigh.com. Special thanks to Nick and Haley and their team for joining the family here at the David Glenn Show and the new North Carolina Sports Network. I don't know if you get to teach any semester anymore, given your other responsibilities, but I know in in Duke's world-acclaimed Fuqua School of Business, you have taught uh, sports business classes. And I wonder if any of this came up in your conversations with any of your candidates, because I've been covering, I actually teach at UNC Wilmington and some of these same issues come up in my classes. 20 years ago, I was writing about the Atlantic Coast Conference as the wealthiest league in America. You know, the size of that check you'd get from the conference office was the biggest per school 
not you know a thousand years ago, but you know less than two decades ago. And now we have all this talk about who wants to leave the ACC and the Big Ten and the SEC are printing money in the backyard. Was it still mostly conversations about the unique challenges of Duke football, the way you would have had interviews 10 years ago? Or is there now this new layer where even your coaching candidates want to know about a possible longer term future if the ACC changes membership or or otherwise, you know, falls behind financially. Yeah, David, the conversation was different with every candidate this time around than it was even two years ago. Wow, um, wow. Where the college athletics landscape is shifting so rapidly and, and there's so much chaos um, out there right now. So yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we most candidates that I talked with, um, we certainly talked about, um, you know, the future of the conference. Um, we talked about NIL. Uh, that's, you know, different than two years ago. It was just coming onto the scene and how are we operating, uh, you know, with this new permissive legislation. Um, we talked about the transfer portal. It's very different now than it, it was even two years ago. And so, you know, how I asked all of our candidates, how do you use the transfer portal and, and what would you be looking for and the type of student athlete that, that you would want to bring to Duke and, and how do you retain your current roster? Um, we certainly don't want to see a lot of our, our current student athletes jumping into the transfer portal. So, yeah, I mean, the conversations uh, are really kind of some, you know, big picture things and and how we're really working to position Duke Duke Athletics um, at the forefront of, of the ACC. And so that whenever the next shift happens, uh, we're certainly top of mind and, and top of the radar for um, whether it's, you know, going to another conference, bringing other schools in, whatever. I'm not saying any of that's happening. I'm not, <laughs> uh, you know, but we do, I mean, change is going to continue to happen. Um, and, and we saw a lot of news come out relative to college athletics this week, uh, even. So, um, you know, I talked a lot about that with our candidates. I do have to tell you, it was interesting. We also hired a swimming coach uh, last spring. And when I was interviewing those candidates, one of them asked me, should I be worried about swimming at Duke? And I told him, I said, in all honesty, you should be worried about swimming everywhere. Um, wow. I'm, I'm wow. really worried about um, our Olympic sports. And um, you know, we're, we're really proud to provide broad-based programming. We have 27 sports and 700 student athletes. And we get to provide that experience for 10% for of the undergrad population here at Duke. And if we um, you know, continue to to run down this crazy track, uh, um, you know, where where we're putting more and more focus only on a couple of sports, it's going to be at the expense of our Olympic sports, which would just be horrific. Um, and so, you know, we need to make sure that that we're making decisions that are in the best interest of all of our student athletes, not just the high profile ones. As much as we love having Nina as our guest, I do encourage folks. I've seen you as a guest for I think it was the Sports Business Journal, the Triangle Business Journal. You had fascinating, like you were, you were my professor as I was watching. You were talking about will the bubble burst for not just sports-related issues, but tuition-related issues and so many other things. So I encourage folks to just do a quick search on YouTube or Google or wherever, and you can find more of the, um, the insights, really, of Nina King, who's, who's in these trenches to, to an even to greater, greater degree than those of us who write about it or follow it. You mentioned the transfer portal. It, of course, is not unusual in any sport, in any era. If you lose your coach, you might want to transfer. That, that's nothing novel about that. But I wonder, you know, having followed Riley Leonard, your star quarterback, uh, I've seen the names of, I think, your first and second running back 
with eligibility remaining name in the transfer portal. Several potential returnees on defense, really good players, some of them all ACC honorees, name in the portal. Now, I know you can still stay even if you put your name in the portal. Either generally, you probably don't have specific information on, on those players and maybe you can't comment anyway, but should Duke fans be at all optimistic that some of those guys might stay as I guess Manny Diaz recruits them the way he's recruiting high school seniors and other transfers? Yeah, I think Duke fans should be optimistic. Let's just put it there, period, on everything about Duke football. Um, but, you know, you bring up a great point. So these student athletes, I understand. Um, and I stood in front of them, uh, you know, a Monday before last and said, if you feel that you need to go in the transfer portal, we will absolutely support your decision. We want what's in your best interest. Um, but I did ask them, I said, give me some patience and uh, let's see who the next head football coach is and, and then try to make a decision. A lot of those that you referenced did come to sit, to sit with me and, and talk through um, their decision. And I understand, you know, just kind of the anxiety around um, the unknown. And a lot of them just kind of wanted to test the waters and see what else is out there. So we may see some return. I hope we see all of them return. Um, but what I am most proud of is that all of them have committed to playing the bowl game with us, um, including Riley. He will come with us. Now he's injured, so he can't play, but right. he will be with us for the bowl game. So I think that's a great testament to this place. These guys want to be here. They want to be at Duke. Um, they want to be with their teammates uh, and some, you know, for the last time uh, playing together in a game. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and I certainly don't fault these student athletes for wanting to see what else is out there and, and really making a good decision. God, I hope I said Riley Leonard. I've been at this for so long. There's a former Wake Forest quarterback named Riley Skinner, who was oh, a I wonderful. Don't think you said that. <laughs> I said it right. Thank you, Nita. Uh, every once in a while on live radio or video, you just it comes out differently than what your brain sent to your mouth. Um, it, it seemed like you did everything. If I were in your shoes, I think you did everything right with Mike Elko. And I just have a general question with that in mind. I mean, I, I know after a great first year, you gave him some big fat raise of an amount that I'm not sure of, but it, it made it even more competitive. Y'all sold a ton of tickets. To the to the fans' credit, I saw a lot of full Wallace Wade stadiums, right? Um, the, the recruiting budget and other financial things. Now, I know Texas A&M can do – I mean, it's a 100,000-seat stadium almost, and, and, you know, you don't have a magic wand. But I wonder, um, do you think is, – is there any element when seeking candidates, I want this person to be a longer-term solution, Right. It's not hard to imagine if John Shire keeps winning, John Shire still being the Duke coach after I'm retired. I mean, right? Like he's not a flight risk, so to speak. But you did everything right with Mike Elko, and he left. Um, is, is that part of your conversation with Manny Diaz or otherwise, or is it just about getting the right person for now? It's a little bit of both. First, I have to say, John Shire might not be a flight risk, but we can't take him for granted yeah. either. <laughs> I know you just gave him a contract extension after one yeah. year, so, you're, yeah. so clearly yeah. you're on the ball there too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, the conversation with the candidates. It's We really want to flip the narrative right now that's out there that Duke is a stepping stone job because I don't believe that to be the case. But again, I can't fault somebody if there is something somewhere that they want to be and, and that's in their best interest for their 
personal aspirations, then go. I mean, you wouldn't want to keep somebody here that's unhappy or always would have been thinking, what if, um, you know, and, and made a poor decision. So, um, you know, I, listen, I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, Mike and I had great conversations um, around the AM opportunity, what we were doing here. Um, I think he would tell you, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he would tell you he truly was happy here and we were doing really good things and he felt supported. Um, and, and we had a plan, a strategic plan for growth. Um, um, and so, you know, I mean, again, it just came down to a personal decision. Um, you know, I, I, Manny and I had great conversations also about kind of where we want to take this thing and, and do it together. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of low hanging fruit. You mentioned fans in the stadium this year. Um, we want to make it so that that stadium sold out six or seven times a year, however many home games we have. Um, I thought Mike Elko did a great job the week before the Thanksgiving game and saying that, you know, you know, we shouldn't take, oh, it's Thanksgiving as an excuse for not having fans in the stadium. I don't know about you, but I was ready to get out of the house by Saturday afternoon. So <laughs> we want everybody to come out, you know, so it's those type of things. I mean, we, we need to instill a culture um, around football where it's, it's, you know, the, the students are coming, the community is coming. Um, you know, I know our fans are national and, and, you know, fly back more than one time a year. Let's come a couple games a year, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, we're really looking to up the the fan experience and, and really try to understand how to better engage our fans so that we can put the butts in the seats, if you will, on, on a several Saturdays um, a year. Um, you know, we haven't really talked about NIL and I don't, that could be a four hour conversation no and fair. I don't know how much time we have, but that's certainly a factor here as well. And, and every school is really trying to figure out how to how to do nil and whatever the do is 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 really somewhat challenging trying to figure out and so that's certainly a factor here we we need to um, figure out our nil plan and and how we ensure that these student athletes feel supported and kind of grabbing opportunities to promote themselves and and really elevate their brands with our help so um, we're we're really studying nil and and we've got people that are are focused on how to grow it and and in a very duke like way um, what's the the right thing to do for our Duke student athletes. So, you know, we have a few areas where we're trying to, to kind of figure out here, but I think it all really excites Manny. You mentioned the word culture, <laughs> and I don't know how tight on time you are right now, so please let me know if you are. Um, I've heard just rave reviews about your football strength coach, um, who a lot of fans might be surprised at either – how much emphasis a head coach puts on that. I mean, it, it's, it's almost, it, it's, it's grown to the point where a lot of people in college football just can't put enough weight on the importance of that position. Now I realize any answer you give could change like in 24, 72 hours. Do we know who's staying with Manny Diaz? Who's, who might interview with Manny Diaz? Do you have a commitment that a strength coach is going to, uh, stay. And I know Coach Taylor has been sort of the interim helping to bridge this whole gap. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I mean, the strength coach is a really critical piece. And we've got 10 assistant coaches. A lot of head coaches count the strength coach as one of the 11th assistant. Excuse me, yep. I'm battling a cold in all of this. <laughs> um, I'm also trying to stay healthy here. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. But I can tell you, uh, because Manny told the team last night, Coach David Feely is going to be our strength coach moving okay. forward. 
So um, really excited about that. And the guys were really, really excited. Um, he is a huge part of our culture, critical, critical piece. He's a really good strength coach and he's an even better person. So really excited that, that Coach Feely's staying. And the rest of the staff will just shake out in a in a matter of of weeks or days i'm Absolutely. not really sure yeah i mean as you mentioned coach trooper taylor is our interim head coach and and coaching this team through the bowl game um and all of our assistants are still here um you know some might have opportunities we'll see what kind of shakes out over the next couple of weeks and um manny will really kind of sit down and and figure out the staff i think he told uh he told the parents last night first priority is is recruiting the current roster um and then i would say uh probably second priority is recruits with signing day coming up on december 20th i know he's going to hit the road here soon um and then figuring staff out uh post bowl since we mentioned john shire go ahead and give us your logic on uh, the, the contract extension all the way through 2029. Now, we all saw 27 wins. We all saw an ACC championship for a rookie head coach. Of course, a trip to the NCAA tournament, another incredibly highly ranked and regarded uh, recruiting class. Like there was all sorts of flashing green lights, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but So what goes into the why of uh, taking what's already a fairly long-term contract and, and extending it all the way to 2029, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, without revealing too much of behind the scenes, I think, you know, we just wanted to ensure that that Coach Shire knew that we valued him and his leadership, wanted him to be here and, and lead our program well into the future, um, gave us an opportunity to kind of restructure some parts of the contract. That's the, the lawyer in me there. Um, and so really just kind of wanted to take a holistic look at it and, and ensure that we had something that was really fair um, to John and to Duke University. So we, we took the opportunity after one year and, and really thankful um, that he's committed to us for a while. Hey folks, David Glenn here. I cannot offer a greater endorsement or a bigger compliment than telling you about the folks that I use for important matters in my own life. That's the case with the Lawson Insurance Group, led by three actual brothers, Ken Lawson, Miller Lawson, and Michael Lawson. These guys operate a very successful family-oriented business right here in Raleigh, and that office happens to be one of those beautiful blends of NC State grads and UNC grads and graduates, fans and supporters of other colleges and universities all over North Carolina. I know these guys, I trust these guys, and I send these guys my own insurance business and that of my family. The next time you have insurance needs, I hope you'll do the same. The Lawson Insurance Group is known for its commitment to community and its dedication to ensuring that North Carolinians and their businesses are prepared for life's inevitable challenges. With the reminder that as a high street insurance partner, Lawson Insurance Group offers local expertise and support that combined with high street's extensive national resources means more choice and support for you as their client. As we speak, Miller Lawson's helping the Glenn family with our auto insurance needs and Ken Lawson is the guy to call for your commercial insurance needs. If you Google high street Lawson Insurance, their website will be the first to pop up. This is old news, uh, and maybe this is one of those things that you save for your memoirs someday. But when Coach K retired, I mean, that's the guy I've been interviewing since 1987. It just just kind of blew my mind, and he's such a fascinating, amazing, accomplished, obviously, guy. You were in the midst of one of the most important decisions in the history of Duke athletics, and my brain was all over the place just as an observer. I remember John Feinstein telling me, 
you know, all these great Duke coaches out there, most of them don't really want to be the guy that follows the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember Doug Collins, uh, Chris's dad, joining my show and saying, as a former coach, this is Doug Collins speaking, you'd rather be the guy that follows the guy that yeah. follows the guy, right? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you have John Shire, and yeah. maybe the rest of it just stays in a magic box and the rest of us are never allowed to know. But John Feinstein at one point told me he'd bet the ranch, the farm, and the dog that it was going to be Jeff Capel. <laughs> and, of course, there were other brilliant people with or without Duke ties. What are you willing to share with the masses about how all of that unfolded and how a lot of great candidates ultimately led to John Shire. I mean, the university president was involved. Coach K swears it wasn't his decision, but we'd be naive to think he didn't have a pretty pretty strong voice in it all. What what can you share behind the curtain, so to speak? Yeah. Well, first, I want to know if you got the ranch, the farm, and the dog. <laughs> right. He owes me all of those things. Absolutely. I have a cool, nice little dog nearby. He might be jealous, <laughs> but yeah, I got to call Feinstein on that. Yeah, collect. Um, you know, it, it was a very thorough and in-depth process, and it was actually interesting uh, because I was going through my own interview process at the time uh, for this position. So, um, had had uh, been participating on the internal committee um, of a very of three uh, and advising Kevin White, who was then the athletic director on the coaching transition for men's basketball, while then also interviewing to become the athletic director. And so then named the athletic director um, in in mid-May and switched to then working with Kevin White and President Price on making the decision of of who our next head coach would be. And it it was a a very thorough process. We talked to numerous candidates, um, no matter what's out there. Uh, Coach K was a very important part of it, um, certainly valued his feedback. I mean, who, knows this program better um, and and who can kind of continue the the journey of Duke men's basketball and and it's just incredibly elite status so um you know we had a lot of conversations with him we talked with him um but ultimately uh Kevin um President Price and I sat down and and made the decision which um obviously resulted in in a great head coach for Duke men's basketball Clearly, I could talk to you forever, and I promise I will not do that. But let me ask you to uh, give us a parting shot in a very broad sense. When I teach at UNC Wilmington, I love teaching kind of how we got here, whether it's sports media, I deal with broadcasting and writing and and play-by-play and other things, or sports business, which, again, I know you have taught at Duke. Um, When it comes to looking forward – I'm really tentative about what to say. And I practiced law for 17 years. So it's not like I'm confused by antitrust or asking Congress to get involved. Like I understand many of the forces of the universe, but I still have no confidence (laughs) forecasting a whole lot about these things. Do you believe that either A, Congress is going to get involved and impose or help with some framework for the future of college athletics? B, just recently, the NCAA's current president suggested that schools, for those who don't know, at least for now, schools are not directly paying the name image like this money. That's third party money. And the president just said, well, maybe we should just let schools do do it. And uh, obviously that would impact Duke in a mega million dollar way. Uh, Or maybe some have suggested uh, student athletes, even if they don't call it a union, 
form and, and get together and negotiate. I always tell my students, why is it legal for there to be a draft? Mm-hmm. A draft would be patently, absolutely illegal. Nobody's telling me where I get to work as a sports broadcaster <laughs> without my permission, right? It's Ill, it's legal because there has been a collective bargaining, bargaining process, as you would know. So with all that, it's a long-winded question. Where are we going, Nina? <laughs> what does your crystal ball say? Oh, my. Well, I do have to say, I do still teach. Last day of class for the semester is on Monday. Wow. So, uh, still squeeze that in. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't been the last two Mondays, but uh, it's fun. Kevin White and I do teach together. So now he he knows sometimes I can't show up and, and he's got my back. In, in Great guy. Great guy. Class. Love Kevin. Um, so, uh, you know, it's really hard to prognosticate. And I certainly don't want to get myself in legal trouble here. <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out what, what it all looks like. But, you know, you raised a great point. Does Congress step in and help? You know, we're certainly asking for help. Um, I, I don't know. Some, day, some days I'm optimistic that we're going to get it. And other days I'm thinking, well, you know, they've got way too many other important things um, on, on their radars and on their plates. So not quite sure, although we do continue to, to push and to educate. educate. Um, we've got several really um, engaged uh, folks in Congress that are, are wanting to help us. So I think that's encouraging. But in the meantime, you know, it, it's you mentioned the NCA um, dropping that proposal this week. It was kind of the, the proposal heard around the college athletics world because nobody had any idea that that was coming and that it was coming on uh, to Monday, Tuesday, whenever it came. Um, and so a lot of conversations since then around around what that looks like and, and what it is. And I'm excited that, that we're at least having the conversation. I think everybody really um, we've, we've come to grips with. We can't continue to operate that the way that we're operating. We haven't been terribly nimble in terms of innovating, in terms of moving this enterprise forward um, and and just kind of relying on on our defenses. And um, we're starting to get to be where we are a legally um, indefensible model. Um, And we're we're getting attacked um, in the courts and it's becoming incredibly expensive. And and there are some some cases out there right now that are are potentially going to be litigated that could be catastrophic to to the NCAA as an organization. So I think everybody's really, you know, we're we're all saying this is not working, um, but we hadn't really seen until uh, President uh, of the NCAA, Charlie Baker, put out the proposal, we hadn't really seen anybody come up with something. So if this proposal's not the thing, at least we're talking and at least we can all kind of, you know, come together working on some concepts and really see what might work and what might make sense uh, for the NCAA as an organization, for our conferences, and, and really how best we serve our student athletes. So I think everything's on the table, um, and I'm I am fine with us not looking like what we've continued to look like. I think change is good, innovating is good, um, but let's kind of, you know keep in mind, we're here uh, because we're encapsulated in the academy and and really having our student athletes have this opportunity at education as well as high level uh, athletics is really, I mean, that that's a good thing. And it's it's something only in the United States, uh, this model, uh, you don't see it anywhere else in the world. And I think we need to continue to focus on how do we provide our student athletes with this incredible, again, athletic experience, but while they're here getting an education. Our guest has been Nina King, the Duke Athletic Director since the spring of 2021, and what a whirlwind since then. Uh, You're a lot of fun. I mean, 
I haven't had you on my show before, so let me just say in retrospect, congratulations. Thank you. On, uh, I had heard great things about you for a decade or so, and I knew I still know Kevin quite well, um, so I, I was not surprised, uh, but I am impressed that uh, you, you got such a prominent position at, at such a relatively early stage of your career, uh, and this has been really wonderful today. So thank you for your time on the David Glenn Show. I look forward to future visits. I hope we talked enough about Manny Diaz today, but I, I love to pick your brain about the rest of those issues as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the time. It's great sitting, chatting with you, and hopefully we'll get many more opportunities. I mean, there's no shortage of topics around college athletics to talk about for sure. <laughs> Amen to that. Thank you, Nina. Appreciate you being here. Thank you.